Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, you'll be hearing from one of my fellow members on the Nourish app, Sophie Birch. And we'll talk for quite some time about all the difficulties of what happens beyond birth. What happens when you become parents, moving your family from just the two of you to a family of three or four or even more. Sophie shares quite a lot of vulnerability here of her own story of hardship and also why that has turned into a passion for her, a sense of purpose moving her forward in a mission to actually help other people, not just teaching it directly to parents to be, but also teaching different birth practitioners to use these mental health and well-being practices around birth. So I really hope that you stay with us to the end because there's a lot of nuggets here and Sophie and I really reflect on how this shapes not just the individual woman but also the individual man. Becoming a father is as important to reflect on as becoming a mother because father's mental health matters too. So stay with us to the end because we'll think about it not just how it's affecting you as an individual but also how it shapes your couple. Let's dive in. Sophie Birch is also known as the Mama Coach. She's on a mission to put mental well-being more on the map in pregnancy, birth and parenting. She has 14 years as a mother to boys, including twins, as a perinatal therapist and coach, and a birth trauma and postnatal depression survivor. Her experience has shaped who she is and has awakened her to a life of compassion and deep empathy for everyone from preconception through to parenting to menopause. Her approach is simple, to allow people to feel held and heard, safe and worthy of love and self-acceptance. Welcome, Sophie. I'm so pleased to have you here. We've already had a little bit of a chat beforehand, musing about everything going on in the world. So I'm hoping that now that I get to introduce you and have the listeners talk to you a little bit more about your wisdom, everything you have to offer for parents beyond birth. So, so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this chat, Michaela. You're more than welcome. And I think I wanted to mention first, because I think it's very on brand for this podcast, of how how difficult it was to get to this point, Uh, because I think it's a sign of the times we're in that I cancelled one week and, you know, there was just a couple of minutes before we started, I had to restart the Wi-Fi. And it's really thinking about moving forward with imperfect action. So that thank you for your patience, because that means that we are now here together because of having that empathy and compassion for other people's mistakes and shortcomings. Yeah, very much so. It's really important, isn't it, to keep it as real <laughs> as we can for everybody that's listening and equally for ourselves, just lowering those Absolutely. expectations a little. Absolutely. And I think that's going to run as a theme through our chat today around actually compassion taking us quite far in terms of our experiences in parenthood. So before we get to those deeper musings, let's introduce you to the listeners a bit more. They obviously heard your very impressive bio, but tell everyone a little bit about your story, why you do what you do. Yeah, I mean, I'm a mum of four, firstly. Um, I've had three very different birthing experiences. And I have really had to learn along the way when it comes to mental health and well-being. Um, And through my journey, I've been teaching for 15 years in the perinatal world now. That's antenatally and postnatally. I've really learned the value of mental well-being practices and have seen firsthand the effects it can have by way of helping people through the challenges of not just parenting day to day, but equally any additional challenges that have arisen, perhaps a negative birthing experience or a traumatic pregnancy, perhaps just really struggling on the postpartum side with um, the depletion or uh, low mood or relationship elements of that. 
And as a result, I've, I've trained myself, I've gone and done training, I've been trained for years around mental health and mental well-being to the point where I now, I'm a tutor and a trainer in perinatal mental health and well-being. Um, and it sits well because of the lived experience I've had. So just to give you a tiny bit more background, I've experienced um, birth trauma myself, pregnancy trauma, and I've had a postnatal depression as well, and PTSD, which I still am processing and managing, I'm getting much better at it. So I felt that I needed to put something together based on the knowledge that I have personally, but equally the experience I've had in supporting parents for the last 15 years. And that's not just mums, that's fathers as well, that was doable, that was easy to use, that people could really easily accept and process what's happening for them as they become parents. And that doesn't have to be people who are struggling, it's anybody. And, and start to kind of get to grips with this new way of being in a more healthy, rounded, holistic way. I know that we are not educated um, necessarily at school. We weren't. We, our children are now around mental health and well-being. And so therefore, it doesn't come naturally for many of us. And becoming parents is one of the most challenging, vulnerable times of our lives. So it's a really great opportunity to start if we don't already to use mental well-being practices to help build our resilience really to those challenges as they come along and so beyond birth was really born out of that and that the seed was planted many years ago but i've i've finally managed to get it all together and i i created the guide which is a sort of it's like a manual really six chapters and that was online and then from that I created um, and it came with audios as well so that's mindfulness and meditation and relaxation and breathwork audios and then I created groups and I started running the groups and seeing how effective they were and then somebody said to me you really need to show this to others as well because you know this is wonderful it's quite pioneering um, in its approach. And, um, and so I, I, I went and got some training myself again, in terms of how to coach more uh, professionals and practitioners. And um, I've had mentoring coaching along the way too, and have created practitioner training now. And there are going to be by the end of this month, there'll be 60 practitioners worldwide who are starting to run their beyond birth groups. So you can really see the need for this. And all it is, is simple, effective mental well-being. And I'm just so proud and pleased to see that, you know, this is helping more and more people. And for me, it's, that's, it's about the mission of bringing mental well-being into everybody's lives at a really vulnerable time. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's really powerful. Because I remember seeing your, your website that you talk about how your mission is to make mental well-being the norm for everybody, yes. that it's not something that we we just hope or wish to choose that it's just actually this has to be priority and that's so clear that that's so connected with your passion and your purpose and for anyone listening to your story which is a very vulnerable one that we're so honest about these difficult experiences you both both depression and trauma and, and anxiety that you've experienced for those of you who are listening who couldn't quite do the math there about the sort of the the four children and the three births, it's worth mentioning that obviously one set uh, is twins. That's why it's three births over over four children. Yeah. How did having your twins affect you in, in, into kind of coming into that birth? Yeah, um, we had twin to twin transfusion syndrome in pregnancy. Um, so it was, um, without going into details, it was pretty traumatic. And we're very lucky that they're here now. Um, eight years later. And I had to really call upon all of my knowledge and resources, which I had at that time anyway. I had training in hypnotherapy and CBT mindfulness. And I, I actually um, got some hypnotherapy myself to get me through that pregnancy. They were then born prem. So they had to be born. They were trying to take them out at 28 weeks and I, I held them in until 33. Mm -hmm. And they, 
had to be born by cesarean section and then taken into NICU. And they were in NICU and Skibu for many weeks, um, which was very challenging. So you can imagine. Of course. You don't have to share any details that don't no, feel comfortable. That's fine. It's just one of those one of the things that goes to show that, you know, we can have all the skills and all the tools and be a professional Definitely. helping others. It doesn't mean that we're immune to these experiences of hardship. So it's very important that you do share these things. Yeah. And I think I've I mentioned to other listeners before of my journey of EMDR on the episode where Joe Love talks about recovering from her postnatal depression. So I think it's so important that people like you and I talk about these experiences to others, that it's okay to have experienced hardship and that, like you said in the beginning, you're still working on your recovery. That's an ongoing process, even though it's eight years ago since they were born, I'm sure there's still lots of painful memories there for you. So thank you very much for, for sharing that with the listeners. It's going to feel very powerful for them to know that they're not the only ones to go through these things. It's a lot more common than people think. Yeah, definitely. It's my why, you know, it's a passion and that's, that, that keeps me going um, equally, you know, I have spades of empathy and compassion for anybody that I see um, on one-to-one as well as all, all the people that I support virtually um, and in groups and now everybody that's taking, you know, taking notice and reading and using the guide and the groups. And it's so important, as you say, that we keep it real. We can get lost in academia, I think, and in stats that unless you're actually living it, it sometimes can be very difficult to relate to. And so that was one of the things that I really wanted to do was to make it more real and accessible for people so that, you know, speaking in a language where people really truly understand the reasons why this work is so important in terms of mental well-being practices. Mm. My, my experiences, all of them, I see them as as growth, really. Um, and, you know, as painful as they have been, they've brought a, a great deal of awakening and awareness into my life. And equally, I feel that they make me a more present and conscious parent. And I think that's, you know, that's something that we can all learn and grow from too. These pain points are there for us to process in our own way and hopefully see them as opportunities to grow from. And that's a lot of Beyond Birth is about kind of reflecting and processing and awakening and moving forwards. And there's not so much advice in what I do, but more hand-holding, holding space, accepting, and we all do it differently. We, we, you know, every single story is unique. Every experience, every childbirth, every every postpartum experience is unique for everybody. Every baby is different. Their demands are different, and that's why Beyond Birth is is so much about that kind of connectivity and relation relational element as well, and how we can support ourselves, and then equally, therefore, our babies and our partners and um, you know, the, that ripples out into the rest of our lives and everything we do. Um, and I really saw that for myself, you know, as a parent, um, managing being mentally ill and not having support and not having anybody say, how are you really with meaning anybody that could really have supported me or known how to do that. And I'm feeling lucky and grateful that I had the the ability to be able to reach out when I needed to and to get the additional support externally from therapy. But I don't think, you know, I don't think I would have done that had I not known what I know and called mm. upon my professional experiences too, because it's a scary place to be when you're not feeling mentally well or supported. Um, it can feel very lonely and that can really put up you know, barriers to reaching out for help, um, as we know, and we see it's, it's such a big step, isn't it? I always say to everybody that comes to me that reaches out, I always say, thank you so much for that, because I know how hard that is. Just that one little mm. step is actually enormous. And that's why it's so important to educate birth practitioners in mental health and well-being as well, because if we're assuming that Every, uh, every woman and every man is going to have the agency to reach out and ask for the support when they're having these wobbles. 
I think we're making unfair assumptions of a people's agency because of shame, because of stigma, yeah. because of what the, the, the lies that depression tells us that, you know, actually reaching out for help is weak or that if I can't cope, I've failed. Another these sort of uh, all time favorites that I often hear that your mind tells you when you're having a, a wobble, that these things obviously we know logically aren't true, but when you're in the middle of it, it can feel very, very true. It can feel like if I reach out for help and support now, it means I'm not a good enough mum or not coping as a dad. So I think that's, you're, you're right. Actually, we need to have that step earlier that yeah. actually the birth practitioners around the person can pick up on it sooner because there's quite an active step to reach out to find therapy. Is that yes. what you feel has driven you to to do these these training sessions to educate not yeah. just people directly, but also the people who work with new parents? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, beyond birth in itself is is more like a bridging of the gap, um, and it's educating people, and as you say, breaking that stigma around mental health. Anyway, I mean, obviously, a lot of the fear that we feel is quite epigenetic. It's you know carried through the generations, but equally, it, it's about you know cultural and you know what you've learned and who you've been taught by in your life you've been influenced by but the basics here are that we you know when we become parents we go to these baby groups and or we talk to our peers and and if you're in a group and you're with a practitioner you know who is witnessing these conversations and she's sitting there or he is sitting there and not able to hold space in an in effective safe way then actually, in some ways, that can be more triggering too for anybody else in the group. So having, you know, had experience as a postnatal and antenatal teacher for many years, it was very apparent to me that we really need to educate anybody that is supporting parents on a community level, you know, really firsthand, kind of grassroots, to protect everybody in that group too. Um, so we have to have more of a trauma-focused approach we have to be aware that that lots of people may be internally struggling and not showing that to others either. Mm. And it, as you say, reaching out, many people may not be able to do that. So Beyond Birth is there to give people ideas to protect and preserve their mental health and also hopefully therefore an education that builds awareness for when they need to reach out and actually confidence to do so and so practitioners who are training will have that awareness they'll be given that awareness and I think really can we owe it to our to our the people that we support our clients whoever we're with to have a longer connection with them which deepens the relationships that we have when we're working with them but equally you know they're more likely to have that with each other if it's a group situation but also that we are holding space for them in a safe way. So with the groups, I encourage people rather than having big group, almost therapy, group therapy discussions around emotive and mental health issues, we write it down. So it's a, more of a Q&A experience. Mm. So I get people to get used to writing down their thoughts and feelings and doing so in a space where everybody's doing that at the same time can be really inspiring and quite empowering. And, mm. and therefore, it's also very safe. So practitioners are learning ways to work in, in a much safer way with people, but equally recognizing, having an awareness, recognizing the signs that people, there may be people that need additional signposting, additional support. And so they're also taught that as well in the training that I do. That's one of the things otherwise can also lead to the traumas being further deepened is that not only have you experienced something traumatic or scary or where you felt hopeless, but if you have practitioners around you who invalidate or don't pick up on it, then there's another uh, added layer to it there, I guess, sort of where you might feel isolated or lack social support. And this is a story I hear from a lot of women and men who've struggled postnatally that actually like the system failed me or I didn't feel like I was recognized or I had to fight for it to be seen and heard and mm. then I sort of nobody noticed me and these are kind of very painful stories that I think are more about systemic failure as well that we have 
so much that the birth practitioners need to learn, but it's also knowing that that happens in a, in a very strained system. You know, the, the NHS is under pressure. So it's very difficult to, how, to think about how we do this, that even though there is more increased awareness around mental health now, for sure, compared to, say, five, ten years ago, there's more awareness, awareness around perinatal services and there are more services being rolled out across the country um, where there's a perinatal pathway. But still, what about father's mental health yeah. then? I'm just thinking about there's more awareness around mums, but what about father's mental health? Because obviously think about your collaboration on the book Father Light. Can you tell the listeners a bit more about that and what the idea behind this project was? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I got in touch with um, Mark Williams a few years ago. We connected. So he um, is a campaigner and a speaker and a trainer around um, paternal mental health. He recently took his uh, 10 years worth of findings to the World Health Organization, National Institute of Clinical Excellence and the government to put paternal mental health on the map because he you know, experienced himself postpartum depression. Um, he saw his wife go through a really difficult time as well and saw the lack of support that was there. So he, he's been very inspiring to me as I was creating Beyond Birth. Beyond Birth, I wanted it to be for everybody, not just for mums, okay? Obviously, mothers are exceptionally important. But Beyond Birth is, is about preserving mental well-being, you know, mental health in the long run. And that includes all of us, you know, around this time of having a baby. So Mark and I were talking and he inspired me to add a few more bits into the guide. And then I interviewed him for one of my Facebook, I think, lives, and um, we really connected. And then after that, he said, would you like to come and work with me as a trainer um, for perinatal mental health awareness? And we formed a CIC, which is Community Interest Company, with Dr. Jane Hanley and a couple of other people on the team. We're a small team. And we created, we, we created some training that is now being offered worldwide online and is about to be an e-course. And my collaboration with him has started to grow in other areas. And so I've been working also on a sideline with Gail Berry, who is the founder and leader of um, Blossom and Berry Baby Massage and Yoga. And um, she was creating a book of poetry uh, for fathers called Fatherlight. And so she said, would you like to write something for it? And I said, absolutely, of course. And I said, I think Mark would love to put, put his own poems and his own thoughts and ideas, obviously, in there too. And sure enough, he did. So that's how Fatherlight sort of came about. We were just asked to contribute to it, but it ended up being something that's really special. And, you know, the feedback has been incredible. I think it was on one of the, on the bestsellers for a while on Amazon. And I hope that, that it really inspires fathers. Yeah, I mean, I think the stats are at the moment, one in 10 fathers struggle with um, postnatal depression. We feel that that figure is probably underestimated um, because of the stigma as well around actually talking about mental health in, in, you know, for men. And Mark talks a lot about that kind of man up uh, situation. And he created a campaign for, um, for father's mental health, paternal mental health. It's a hashtag campaign a few years ago for, world, mm. the, for the World Fa Father's Mental Health Awareness Day, I think, or Paternal Mental Health Awareness Day. And his latest campaign is, is um, hashtag how are you dad? So it's saying ask twice, which I really think is so important. It's brilliant. Mm. You know, first time you'll probably get the answer, I'm fine. Um, and this obviously isn't just for dads, it's partners and mothers as well. Um, but if we ask twice, it's with a lot more compassion and sincerity, and you may well get a different answer the second time. So yeah. really important. Obviously, with suicide being the biggest killer in, in men under the age of 45, I think, uh, with a lot of those being being in fatherhood, being parents themselves. So you know, we've, it's it's great to see the work that Mark's doing, and I'm fully supportive of that. And actually, very excited to be training the first male Beyond Birth practitioner, a chap called Scott Mayer, who is uh, working closely with Mark as well in campaigning for fathers' mental health. So, yeah, all good, really exciting times, and I'm so pleased that Beyond Birth is is able to reach fathers and partners as well as as mothers because it is vital that we do so now. 
Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that has been neglected for so long because it's just quote unquote part of life that, you know, this is just what women do. And, you know, those who've listened to this podcast before know that I'm quite passionate about um, looking at the pressures created by the patriarchy. And that can mean that we think, oh, the patriarchy only affects women, but actually has a very negative impact on men as well, putting them in holes of you know, pigeonholes of uh, actually, this is how a man should be the toxic masculinity that prevents men from from saying, actually, I'm really struggling. This is difficult. I, I, I need a bit of support. And that pigeonholes men as of needing to be strong uh, for too long. And often, like you're saying, if the story is that they've witnessed the person they love in a, in a hetero relationship, they're the, the female partner, go through birth and pregnancy, birth and possible trauma or breastfeeding pain, struggling with sleepless nights and feeling very powerless and helpless. And that can have a real detrimental impact on the, on the male partner as well of witnessing someone that you love struggle so much. So I think we have to be really careful, especially if we have a um, female partner, if we know a mum who's struggling to routinely ask, how is dad? Yeah. Because statistically speaking, we know that within relationships as well, that if one partner is struggling with depression or anxiety that makes the other partner really vulnerable for developing depression anxiety as well not because it's contagious but because it's a difficult situation to live with yeah it causes strain on their relationship as well so i think that's something we routinely have to do it's like how how is mom well also how is dad yeah and it's so clear sophie of how passionate you are about this that this runs through all of this that actually both you and mark and the other people you collaborate with have come into this from an experience of pain, you know, actually seeing firsthand how challenging this can be and how alone we can be when we don't get support. Um, that actually that can lead us to doing something purposeful with it, actually changing the world one step at a time with coming out with new data, creating hashtag campaigns on Instagram. You know, there are many different ways to create a, a grassroots revolution. And that's something that I think both you and Mark are doing. And it's very admirable. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your purpose with us that way. I wonder, can we get a little bit more specific about some of these challenges? Because we've kind of talked about how hard it can be. But mm. can we talk a little bit more about the challenges that you do see uh, that people experience when they go beyond birth, when they enter parenthood? What are the challenges you see specifically for women, for, for men, for, um, you know, within the couple's relationships? What happens when we transition into, into parenthood? Yeah, gosh, how long have you got? <laughs> Ages yet. Go for it. We, we could go on all day. There are so many. Generally speaking, and this is a generalization, that in pregnancy, we're, we're focused very much on getting our baby out of us during birth yeah or growing obviously a healthy baby um maintaining a certain level of health for ourselves and then getting the baby out it is very difficult to think beyond birth which is why i've called the guide beyond birth and that actually does cover sort of late pregnancy going through and the main areas that i've sort of divided the guide up into which could answer this question really is is we've got sort of different themed sections. So we're looking at obviously the, the nurture element. So this is always a big challenge for people because self-care, self-love, self-compassion, these are things that we don't necessarily learn about so much. Obviously it's, you know, coming, coming through a little bit more, the message is coming through. And, and obviously we see that, as you said, in campaigns on social media, et cetera. If you are used to that before you become pregnant, then it will be more natural for you to start thinking about yourself in this way in pregnancy, of course, self-care, nurture, and start reflecting on what nurture means to you. But when it comes to beyond birth, one of the first things we do as parents is focus on the baby's needs, the baby's demands. And that's for good reason. Obviously, we're, we're protecting them. We are doing our best to meet those needs, those demands, and we put them first. And we hear this oxygen mask analogy being used frequently for good reason, is that it is vital that we actually put ourselves first. And then, of course, we are better equipped on every level to take care of those babies and the rest of the family. Um, so... That's an enormous challenge. And it was the first chapter in the book that I wrote. And there's many um, subsections in there. But so much of it is based around 
this self-compassion approach of parenting ourselves, learning to parent ourselves. And especially if we haven't necessarily been parented that well as children ourselves or equally, you know, in the years in adulthood, even if we haven't had parents to go to, even if we have, we may not really understand the deeper needs that we have in when we become parents and what that looks like. And so a lot of that can come up. So it's a very reflective process. And some of those demons can really come out of the woodwork, can't they, when you become a parent. Your parenting styles may be different to your, your partners. Um, and it, it brings up a lot of self-doubt. Um, there's a lot of comparisons in there as well. And naturally, as human beings, we do compare ourselves to others. But if you've been used to being an overachiever, for instance, in your work, then it can be very difficult to land into parenthood and not be in control of what's going on and, and feel very out of control and feel very tired and not capable of doing your usual, running around 100 miles an hour, doing everything and achieving, achieving it all very well. So it can be a bit of a shock. Um, so obviously lowering those expectations can be difficult for, for a lot of people. So it's starting to reflect on that in pregnancy so that beyond birth, you're more able to slow down and to reflect a bit more on what's important to you. So we look at vulnerability, we look at um, all, all the emotions that come up when we become parents, the shame, the guilt, this real kind of ambivalence as well, that push-pull, I love this little baby, but oh my God, I want to run out the door because it's just crying so lot, so hard. We look at intrusive thoughts. Dr. Caroline Boyd um, has uh, done a lot of wonderful research around unwanted and intrusive thoughts um, in early parenting and parenting generally. And um, I find that really fascinating. So I've used some of her research in the book um, and, and recommended that people go to her website to find out more about that. So about more about normalizing these thoughts that we have. But then we've got also that huge transition, that transformation that goes on, this kind of perhaps this loss of identity, grieving for your previous self. And the big elephant in the room, obviously, is the tiredness and the depletion and that period of matrescence that we go through. So many people don't, they haven't had a baby before, or even if they have, they may well have forgotten it is a really, really big deal when you become a parent again, having to, to manage that and be more flexible in your day to accommodate these hormones, these, these feelings of just not being able to do what you need to do, or perhaps of just having a baby who is just really, really demanding in that day um, uh, or the night as well. So there's a lot in there also about recovery, and I think that's an enormous challenge, even if you've had a really amazing pregnancy and beautiful birth that's gone exactly how you wanted it, which is very rare, then you still need to take time to recover. So, so recovery is a big challenge because I think we just have these expectations of ourselves to be able to just get up and carry on, you know. You hear people saying, oh, people give birth in paddy fields, you know, and get up and carry on working in the paddy field, collecting rice. Well, they may do that over there, but we're not conditioned to that way of being here in the Western society. If you're not used to working in a paddy field and giving birth in that way, then why would you ever be able to do it? And, you know, in the society that we live in now. Absolutely. In a society that doesn't have the tribal support you might have in yeah. those parts of the world yeah. where they actually have set up a system to facilitate for recovery for women in a different way to what we do here when we essentially parent in isolation in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah, so much, so much of that is, you know, we have these expectations and it's, it's about, you know, recognizing the perfectionist in ourselves and, and seeing how you can translate that from your previous working environment or your previous self into parenting, but in a different way. I often, you know, ask people to see if you, they can reframe as often as they can when they start to feel those kind of negative thoughts and feelings kicking in. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. You know, why did I ever think that I could do this and I can't? of just putting a reframe on that, asking yourself how realistic it is and, and trying to see the bigger picture, trying to see the opportunity in that. And, and that, you know, that takes time if you're not used to thinking like that. 
But obviously, there's a whole lot more of challenges that come up postpartum that we don't consider. And we don't, we don't really know until we're actually in it, you know. And a lot of people equally as well, if they're struggling with their mental health, may not know that they are for a while because of the matrescence and the depletion. So it can be a kind of quite a long, ongoing process. So if you've got, if you've got two parents in the equation, then if they're starting to do work together by way of, you know, positive affirmations, gratitude practice, talking it out, talking it through, um, thinking about what they need in that day rather than the week. Um, if they're doing things together, then they're more able to recognize when one or the other is not feeling right and might be able to point that, point that out. Um, quicker than for those who are just sort of attempting to carry on life as they knew it and not necessarily connecting in a deeper way. So that is a massive so challenge. Really there about adapting to it as yeah. a couple, adapting to it as a team. Yeah. And I guess sort of you, you were kind of putting the question out there already by mentioning how if there are, if there are two parents in the equation, you know, a couple, actually how they respond to these challenges make a big difference, how they flexibly adapt how they keep the dialogue going about what do you need, what do you want, how can we keep each of it, each of us well. It's, it's really sort of that question was the tip of my tongue anyway, of how mm. with all those different challenges and transitions and how we enter into so-called matrescence, I guess how, in your experience, how does this impact the couple, you know, especially for the ones going from two to three or potentially more for any twins. But when does that first birth um, going from sort of just being the two of us as a couple and now we're gone into a family. What, what do you see as common challenges then affecting that couple? Yeah, as you say, it's communication. Communication is one of the first things to go. Putting up defences, old coping strategies ki kicking in and then feeling ashamed as a result. You know, perhaps saying things or doing things you wouldn't normally do um because you're so tired and obviously hormones really come in <laughs> big time don't they so you know when we learn to tap into our hormones in a positive way so there's really good hormones like oxytocin and endorphins when we can use those productively postpartum it can be tremendously feel good and very rewarding and very connecting yeah but equally those are the first things to go if you detach yourself because you're struggling and equally, that could be misinterpreted by your partner as you just being really awkward, really difficult, really moody, just, yeah. yeah. So I think it's so important to communicate. Um, and the guide has lots of questions in there, it has a little um, relationship questionnaire, actually, to sort of see if you're both on the same page and to say to remind each other to to voice it because we're not mind readers even if you've been with somebody for a long time and you feel like you know them really well you can't read their mind you know it's coincidental if you do basically so it's so important isn't it to to talk about your feelings and equally to allow the the difficult emotions to be there too and to express that to feel safe in the space of somebody else so that you can have a good cry or you can just say, God, this is hard. You know, I feel I can't do this. So you just maybe you don't need to say anything, but just to show them that you're unhappy um, or that you're struggling and just need to be held, for instance. But some it's difficult if you haven't got that in a relationship in the first place, isn't it? Obviously, you are the queen of relationships. <laughs> I'm only, I'm still learning and I can't wait, wait to disciple, go through your book. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> your book is going to inspire me so much more. I know it's wonderful. I mean, I, for a long time, have been introducing uh, re the relational element into the antenatal training that I've been doing with, with couples for years. And it's something, you know, as a hypnobirthing teacher, I started to bring in a bit more, asking these questions and giving people kind of homework to go away and come together and and really talk about what matters to them and just get used to communicating again because it could be that you're you know like ships passing in the night because of the you know what work you have and then how it's going to make you feel equally in terms of the power in the relationship when that shifts too especially if postpartum you are going to be staying home with the baby for a long time and what if you don't feel all the feelings that you're expecting to be feeling for that baby 
then what? You know, because often you can start to feel resentful of a partner who is leaving the house every day to go and have another life in their job somewhere. Or, you know, th- these things are really important to be discussed. And, and, you know, if you can't talk about it, you can write it down. And that's always a really good start, don't you think? Absolutely, because it gives space for it. And like you're saying, it's not about fixing those things. These, these experiences may just be challenging, but being able to hold space for each other saying, yeah, I hear you, that is just really hard right now. It's, it can feel really, you know, as a strong sense of envy for someone who gets to leave. I remember yeah. that from my husband and I you know, hear the same story from a lot of uh, couples where the way that the parental leave works in this country does become very polarized in the gender roles, you know, for the, especially for partners where they may have had what they felt was quite gender equal before they had their babies. And then they feel themselves pushed into more traditional stereotyp- stereotypical roles that they never signed up for. A mother who's maybe feeling alone at home, feeling de-skilled, especially if she was a professional before she became a mother. Here's a new thing that she has no idea how to do, feels really shit about it. Having lots of those thoughts that you mentioned, noticing thoughts around, I'm not doing a good enough job, I'm failing, I'm I'm not good enough as a mum. And then noticing a a partner who then quote unquote gets to leave. But what we then miss is the empathy and understanding of that other partner who has then become the sole breadwinner and has a lot of financial pressure and trying to keep it all together at work on very little sleep and then come home and maybe have a baby shoved in their arms as soon as they come in through the door. So I often say to couples that there's nobody winning in these equations. Actually, the, the supportive system isn't there to help both partners to recover after birth because yes. you get so polarized in extreme situations with extreme pressures. So I mean, my ideal situation or my wish would be that there would be a lot more shared parental leave in the beginning so that you both partners actually get to come into terms with what is it like to, to look after a small baby and feel more like you, you can share some of those roles. And we, I think we would have a lot less um, fights and divorces in, in that are related to the birth of the first baby because we know that that's one of the biggest strains on the partnership is that first year after the first baby's been born. So I think this is a bigger discussion than what we have time for today, <laughs> but I'm getting political here. But is that sense of actually two weeks maternity leave is not enough and it's not helpful for father's mental health either because I imagine it must be really difficult trying to focus on a job whilst you're worrying about what's going on at home. Yeah, absolutely. And also, again, it comes back to those ideals that society sets for us or perhaps, you know, we've had that ingrained in us from, from you know, family members or, you know, what we've seen as we grow up is these kind of ideals of how we want to be. Or, you know, for instance, if we came from a broken home, we don't want that for, our, for us, of course. And it's those additional sort of subliminal pressures that are there in terms of our performance as well. And I think that you know, one of the biggest things that I've ever learned is just to take every day as it comes and to show as much love and compassion as I can to myself and to my partner. And it's really no more complicated than that in lots of ways. It's kind of keeping it going back to basics and recognizing when we are having these, you know, these thoughts and these feelings, but, you know, these high expectations of ourselves or these ideals that you know, actually we're not we're not failing if we're not matching up to those ideas we're not failing if we're having an argument with our partner or having feelings of resentment or anger there's a reason for that and we you know it's about addressing that isn't it and which is so much what you know beyond birth tries to do or encourage parents to do for themselves as well Absolutely. And I agree with that, that we're not failing if we're having an argument. It's actually making space for tolerating the arguments, learning to use very simple things like, I'm sorry and thank you. Because if we can say, I'm sorry for shouting or I'm sorry for losing my temper, I'm just, I haven't slept. I was out six times last night with the baby. I'm sorry I lost my temper. And thank you for for bearing with me. Yeah, it doesn't have to get much more complicated than that. You know, if if there's anything I wish for the couples I support in the early postnatal days, it's just keep keeping it really simple, stripping it right back to I'm sorry and thank you, yeah. and you probably get through most of those early days without it rupturing your relationship entirely. If we have that awareness that this is going to rock the boat, you can then prep the boat. You can think about what do I do to kind of give it an extra good coat and. Do I need to put any any other bits on the boat to make sure it doesn't sink? And I think that's where, you know, thinking about beyond birth as 
not just the the labor part and essentially the the SAT training I had felt like three days of of focusing on exorcism you know <laughs> how are you going to get this baby out yeah but what about the other things so what about the values we have and how yeah. we want to be as parents and that can feel really overwhelming to focus on all of that when all you can see is the big bump totally I think if we don't look at that beforehand if we don't look at our strengths as a couple how are we going to do this as a partnership how are we going to get through these stormy seas yeah then you get really focused on that you think actually why is our boat really rocky there must be something wrong with us rather than thinking actually you know it's pretty stormy so no wonder that the boat is rocking mm-hmm. that's the bit of empathy and understanding that I want to send to people just that reality check the parenting is really hard life is really hard and then relationships will then be really hard so if we use compassion and empathy is a key there. So what you said there about having compassion for your for your partner, you know, one super simple thing that that I did in the very early days when I didn't have the space for all my usual tools, was I wrote in a little whiteboard on the fridge, and I just wrote, "Have I been kind today?" And I wrote my name to Michaela, to Robin, my husband's name, and then to our son. So I wrote sort of those three things as a reminder for me, but that could also be read by my husband. Mm-hmm. Has he been kind to Michaela? Has he been kind to Robin? And has he been kind to us? That's lovely. And that helped me to just remember that it doesn't have to be the super complicated. Even if I've been unkind, I can also still be kind today. I can repair yeah. the unkindness with kindness and not expecting myself to never be unkind, but thinking actually, you know, I'm going to repair some ruptures. And that's that's really healing. Absolutely. I mean, gosh, I'm nodding so furiously here. And of course, we model that to our children too. So they then, you know, they learn much more healthy ways of managing emotional turmoil by witnessing us managing our day to day in these ways. So Beyond Birth has created, you know, there is a little section in there on infant mental health because it is so important, you know, how we are is how our babies are. Now, that's not to say that anybody who is, you know, experiencing mental ill health is going to irreparably damage their children for life. And I know that's one of the biggest unsaid pain points for so many parents, but it's more about learning to repair those ruptures when they happen and, Mm. and and, you know, and to safely, and again, bringing that word in, compassionately forgive ourselves and be kinder to ourselves and and to each other and you know we can repair that as we go along and our children will equally see the normality in that is that you know it isn't always you know bluebirds flying around the kitchen and everybody happy whistling away singing dancing it's just not how it is and so yeah everything that we do and the, the steps we take and it's not easy actually this work especially if we're not, you know, as I said before, not conditioned to it from childhood. If we didn't have our, our parents demonstrating this to us, then it's, it's difficult for us to take on board all of these new ways of being. But it's Beyond Birth kind of is, is about recognizing what actually what you've already got within you, that you already know how to cope, the good things that you know what to do, and just using those more with intent and building on that. And then Mm. therefore your children will hopefully learn to regulate their emotions more in a much more healthy way and that they'll see the normality of having a cry and not having to man up and shut up and, you know, being able to talk about the fact that they're feeling something and how wonderful that will be, you know, in in Mm. years to come, that would be a dream come true. That would be the dream, wouldn't it? And I think that's obviously, we're such on on an aligned path there, obviously both being contributors to the the nourish app which we haven't talked about today but maybe it's worth mentioning that as well that you know that's similar type of purpose of how we can help mothers to know that they matter too it's not just about topping yourself up so that you can continue to pour into the glasses of others but topping yourself up because you deserve to be well you know you have enough worth in yourself that you deserve to be looked after you deserve to be nourished not just for your purpose of uh, being a mother so that you can be there for your child, but because you just matter, period. And that's something that for those who don't know the Nourish app, that Sophie has some fantastic audios to to tune into. And you can already hear your soothing voice on this this, uh, podcast recording. So it's even more soothing when you do your little audio. So I would really recommend people to check out Sophie on the Nourish app as well. 
And in, in a few weeks, we're going to get um, the founder of the Nourish app to talk to us as well, Sarah Campen. So we'll dive deeper into cool. the Nourish app then. But it's I think that's where we're thinking about that oxytocin mask, mask as I often say, rather than the <laughs> oxygen mask. That we actually really want to even soothe ourselves and yeah. give ourselves a breath of the oxytocin, not just because of the bond it gives us with our babies and children, but also because oxytocin is really soothing for us as well. Oh, Not gosh, always as really. a blanket rule, but it can be really soothing for us as well. Yeah. So I think that's been really, really helpful. And I want to just draw things to a close now. With So if you think about the name of the podcast, you know, the, the pause to purpose and the play. And I think mm-hmm. we've covered a lot of purpose ground today. We talked a lot about your journey and the different projects you worked on, your collaborations and uh, on apps and books and all these fantastic things you've done. So with all those achievements, with all the things that have been passionate and purposeful to you, how do you then find pause? How do you switch off with all of these achievements? Mm. It's so important to me to take regular pauses through the day. Um, I call them check-ins, actually. And it's part of my kind of mothering myself idea um, that I know that in order to function and get through in a more balanced way in my day, there are non-negotiables that have to be brought in. And so I regularly use a heart anchor where I just place my hand on my heart and, and check in on my um, emotions, where am I on that emotional spectrum? And I give myself a burst of oxytocin as well in those moments too. So those are, that's my pause. It's recognizing equally when there are times of the day when I'm going to be triggered. So I make sure that, um, not always, but if it's a groundhog day, like we're living through right now in the pandemic, it's easier actually, because I know that certain times of the day with the routine, I'm going to be more triggered than others. And so I take time to pause then. So that's just being more mindful of my environment as well as checking in on my emotions and where I'm at and giving myself a virtual hug. That's really lovely. It's so, it's so important. It's so, so important. And we all do it slightly differently. But equally, I like to use the power of visualization as a hypnotherapist, you know, really fine tuned that wonderful gift that we've been given uh, that we often don't use consciously enough. And I call creative visualization, I call it conscious daydreaming. So that's a chance really to, to pause and to think, where do I want to go? Who, who do I want to be with? That can look like, you know, going to a, you know, wonderful holiday destination or just, you know, being in the kitchen of your parents if that helps you to feel better if you can't be with them right now or or being in a coffee shop having a lovely cup of coffee with a best friend just moments of pure escapism and I think you know that brings the sort of play element into it slightly as well of just having Mm. fun with our with the power of our mind um, and our imagination and that helps us to move out of the heaviness that we might be feeling especially as we're all in, you know, threat mode at the moment, but, you know, very importantly in parenting too, it can feel very serious, very heavy. We've got the world on our shoulders. We're supporting everybody all the time, you know, thinking about where we would like to go, you know, where helps us to feel fun, pure escapism, a lot lighter. And then, you know, equally, maybe as I, you know, regularly do just popping some music on and just having a bit of a dance. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. My children really love to dance with me in our kitchen. We designed the kitchen so that we could dance, you know, properly in there. And that's, that's really important, that sort of play element. I've also recently got myself a rebounder. I used to have one. I'd lost a couple of legs on it and it hadn't been, you know, it'd been in the shed for years. And I've been thinking, how do we bring more fun into our days at the moment? Because obviously, you know, the boys are really feeling the pressure of not being with their friends. And, and um, equally same for us grown-ups, we're feeling a bit heavy and a bit, it's all a bit serious. So I was thinking, how do we bring some more fun and play into our days? And so I got a rebounder again, because I thought, well, I need to do a bit of cardio and I can't run, unfortunately, because I've got an injured coccyx. But it's wonderful. So we have this little rebounder out in the kitchen where we all take in turns to rave to our favorite tunes on. And, um, and that's, you know, so important for the children to see us being lighter, having more fun, but equally for us, obviously, to produce some endorphins and, and laughter, just wonderfully healing in so many ways too. 
Absolutely. And Sophie, it really shows also that you make that a priority. You show your four boys that this is something we can do for ourselves, that actually I have to make a conscious effort to take the rebounder out, to put the music on and make that space and make that a priority. So it's, I think it's really powerful modeling to them that we do need to nourish ourselves, especially when life is hard, but not only when life is hard, it's just always topping ourselves up. Yeah. So this has been a really powerful interview, a little bit longer than our usual, because I just, you were saying so many golden nuggets, I didn't want to ever make you stop. But unfortunately, now we're coming to the end of the chat. And I want you to just wrap things up with one final thing, which would be the one tangible takeaway you want to give the listeners, remembering that the people who listen might be quite anxious or ambitious, kind of over striving, overachieving people who might actually need you to give them some sort of permission for themselves or a pressure to take off them? What would that be that you would give as a takeaway to the listeners? Mm, Such a good question. And I think I'll bring it back to the idea of pure visual escapism, allowing yourself a moment to go away from where you may well be and just take a moment to have fun with your imagination and use it in a really sensory way so that you come back feeling lighter. And I say come back, obviously you're still where you are, but you've quite literally teleported yourself to somewhere. And I think whether, you know, it's so important to remember that where the mind goes, the body follows. So it doesn't need to take long. It can just be a conscious daydream a few times a day and just allow yourself to really feel into that. And I think that's definitely what I would like to suggest to people is, you know, give yourself permission to take these little moments for yourself and tap into your natural resources that you have at your fingertips all the time. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sophie, for all the wisdom, for the honesty, the vulnerability, and for all these lovely permissions and insights that I hope the listeners have taken away. And for those who haven't heard it already, obviously we mentioned Beyond Birth a few times, but I'm also going to pop in the links in the show notes to the book that you mentioned, Father Light, and to the Nourish app that we mentioned as well. So all of that will be in the show notes. And for those who want to follow you on socials, where will they find you? So you can find me on Instagram at the Mama Coach, which is two M's in Mama. And also... The only way it should be, the Swedish <laughs> way, yes. <laughs> Great. And beyond underscore birth underscore guide. So that's a, that's a little account that I'm growing now with lots of tidbits from the guide and, um, and inspiring information as well. And you can find me on Facebook, The Mama Coach, on Twitter as The Mama Coach. And if you want to email me, I'm always really happy uh, to receive emails, um, our connection calls we can set up as well. So it's sophie at themamacoach.com. And that's my website too. So themamacoach.com, everything should be there. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, Sophie. And we will obviously continue to cross paths. And for those who haven't seen it already, we did a, a lovely little live um, on your IGTV, on your Instagram about relationships uh, and parenting. So We've already crossed paths a few ways, so um, I'm, I'm sure we will continue to collaborate in the future. So thank you so much for taking this time with me. Thanks, Michaela. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Goodness me, this was a deep, nourishing conversation for me to really reflect on as I was going through this interview with Sophie, my own postnatal journey as well. For those of you who already know, as I've shared this a little bit in some of the other episodes, I did have quite a tricky time with my son who was born four years ago. So talking to Sophie was really powerful for me personally as well. And I hope that you who have listened have felt that it's okay to admit that you're struggling if you're in the postnatal period yourself. And especially important to also maybe share this episode to any fathers or men who are about to become fathers that you know in your friendship group. Because we really do need men to talk about this as well and just open up a bit more about their mental well-being. If you've liked this episode, please share it to someone. Please rate and review this podcast so we can grow even more. I would really appreciate your support. And as always, do please take care of yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, 
then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically, showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www.thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. So that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. You can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.